You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that air. So today is going to be more or less a sort of general newsy kind of day. That's more or less the category, but there are some more in-depth kind of thoughts. But little of this, little of that. I want to say thank you very much, if I haven't already, to Alan and Brian. I think I did Alan, but Brian for jumping in on Patreon. Um, I've been thinking about that. been trying to think how we can up it a bit. At first I was thinking maybe if you give more, you can get more, but you already get more entries. That's kind of the point. $5 is 5 entries, $10 is 10 entries, etc., etc. If you donate $100, I'll just, you know, you'll just win. Because <laughs> the odds are very strongly in your favor. Also an expensive way to buy a t-shirt. But what I want to do is create milestones, and I don't know exactly what they are, because every time I do, I make them too unreachable, and then nobody gets anything cool. But right now, as it is, uh, at the end of the month, guaranteed somebody is going to win a free t-shirt. I know once we get past a certain threshold, not sure what it is because I don't know how to gauge how interested people are. I'm thinking 50 donors, which we're already at about 40. So if I can get like 11 people to donate a dollar, we're already past it. But if we get past a certain threshold, I'll give you the option to get a sweatshirt instead of a t-shirt. If you want, or tank top, or whatever it is you want to buy that I have in my store, you can just have it. Here's the ultimate thing that I was thinking, though, although it's going to cost me a lot of money, so I want to make sure that it's that it's going to pay off. But one thing I thought would be really, really cool would be to give you the option of creating your own t-shirt. In other words, you give me a design concept, I pay for the design concept, you get a free t-shirt from that concept, and then it gets sold in the store. That, I think, would be awesome. Problem is, I end up getting too creative for my own good and lose money this month. That's not super great. So let's just say for now, if we can cross 50, we'll do the sweatshirt giveaway or hoodie or whatever. It, it's a anything you want out of the store giveaway. If we can get to that point, we'll start talking about the other thing. And again, $1 a month and you're in. And that's all I'm, I'm not saying you got to give a certain amount. Otherwise, it doesn't count. That's all I care about as far as how many donors there are. So again, I've got 39 right now. And thank you very much to those 39. If we can get 11 more people to donate a dollar, then somebody is going to win a free anything in the store. If you don't know what I'm talking about with the store, it's in the description. If you just look at the description of this episode, it says Packernet Merch, and then there's a Teespring link. So click on that Teespring link, and you can grab anything you want out of that store, if we can cross 50. And again, once we do, then we'll start talking about that next thing. Otherwise, jump in the group, like the Facebook page, uh, five-star iTunes reviews, and also Stitcher reviews would be very helpful. Otherwise, let's get to work. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. 
Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. I know I've been griping you about it, but I want to make sure you hear me. Because this is not going to be a long-time offer. If you have some interest in trying out some genuinely high-quality material, high-quality clothing, and some of the most comfortable socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants, underwear, whatever that you'll ever wear, you got to check out MacWeldon.com. Now, as I said, I went for comfort when I bought my stuff, and I'm not disappointed whatsoever. Shirt, gloves, hat, hoodie, lounge pants, super happy with my decisions. However, you might want to upgrade a little bit. Maybe you're thinking, if I'm going premium, I might as well go real premium and get me a button-up shirt for work or something. They got all that. And if you if you spend a lot of time, you know, suit and tie in it, getting a high-quality shirt with some sweat-preventing 37.5 technology, whatever that is, I mean, the name is ridiculous, but it's, 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 a, breathable, it's a breathable fabric. They've got underarm sweat guards. I mean, these, these things, it's not just fabric stitched together. It's technology. They've also got the undershirts, the work pants, the socks, everything to help complete this whole outfit, and they're manufactured for performance. And again, for being a listener to this podcast, Mac Weldon is a great offer for you to take advantage of. Get 20% off your first order. Just visit MacWeldon.com, enter promo code OVERTIME. Again, 20% off your first order. Just enter promo code OVERTIME when you visit MacWeldon.com. And because they want you to be comfortable, if you don't like your first pair of underwear, you get to keep it, and they'll still refund you, no questions asked. MacWeldon.com, use promo code OVERTIME for 20% off your first order. All right, so let's start off with some really awesome news. Apparently, Leroy Butler got the phone call that he is a Hall of Fame finalist, finally. Very appropriately, he got the call on a leap year, so it is just meant to be. So very, very excited for Mr. Leroy Butler. Very, very deserving. Uh, Four times in his career from 1990 to 2001, he was selected to a Pro Bowl. All four times, he was first-team All-Pro. Twelve years he spent in the NFL every single snap as a Green Bay Packer. Not only was he uber-talented, but in that entire stretch, not including his last year where he did miss a good amount of time, we're talking four games missed. That's it. Funny enough, if you look at his first year, he played 16 games. He didn't start one of them. He still had three picks for 42 yards. (laughs) That's pretty incredible. That would be like Ibrahim Campbell with three picks for 42 yards, right? He's your number three safety. He's a rotational guy, whatever he was. I don't know, the PFF doesn't go back to 1990, so I can't look at his snap breakdown. But according to Pro Football Reference, not one start that entire rookie year still had three picks for 42 yards and a forced fumble. The first time in 1993 when he made it to the Pro Bowl and was a first-team All-Pro, he had six interceptions for 131 yards, two forced fumbles, one recovery, one touchdown, and he added a sack to that. And that was kind of just what he did. I mean, that was as far as interceptions, he never hit six again, but he had one, two, three different times. Actually, three years in a row, he had five pick. The first two of those five, he was over 100 yards on that. He actually almost hit he almost hit 150 yards just on interception returns. The guy was like a punt returner. Think about it. He's getting 30 yards per interception on average. He got one touchdown out of that. 90 yards was his longest. I'm assuming that was the touchdown. I don't know. The guy had a forced fumble every single year with the exception of uh, two. Once in 1999, he did not. And then in 2001, where he only played nine games, he also did not. Every other year, he had at least one forced fumble, as many as three in 1998. Guy was basically Peanut Tillman before Peanut Tillman was Peanut Tillman. 
That might be a slight exaggeration. Nobody's Peanut Tillman. I actually just looked it up. 2012, you know how many forced fumbles Peanut Tillman had? A.K.A. Charles is his real name. He had 10 forced fumbles. In one year, 10. Guy's nuts, man. He's one of those guys that plays for the Bears that you can't help but respect. And I feel like I used to do that a lot more. Maybe I'm just getting angrier as I get older. Maybe it's the podcast. I don't know. But there were there used to be a lot of guys that you look at and just like, man, he's a Bear, but I respect that guy a lot. Almost think back on that old Bears team with nostalgia. Am I alone in that? I probably shouldn't say that as a Packers podcast, but you think about it. Think about, like, Briggs and uh, Erlocker. That was a heck of a... I mean, granted, if they beat the Packers all the time, I probably wouldn't look back so fondly. But a really dominant team that never could seem to beat the, the Packers and hardly even get into the playoffs... I don't mind looking back on that fondly. That was a good de- That was. I mean, those are some good players, man. I don't know. Anyways, congratulations, whatever congratulations means, to Mr. Leroy Butler. And I just, I have very little doubt that it's going to be his year. And I look forward to uh, to being able to watch him get his due. Um, I wanted to discuss a couple different personnel things. Number one, and I haven't seen anything official yet, but apparently the Green Bay Packers are about to sign a wide receiver. The guy's name is Reggie Begleton, a.k.a. Stamps Begleton. He is apparently a CFL star. So I don't know anything about the CFL, but let's just take a look real quick. Um, If you just look at, let's just go through the stats and see here. And I don't know what good stats or bad stats are, so we'll just compare them all to each other. I'm on the CFL site looking at their stats. Um, Most receptions. He is second in all of the CFL in receptions with 102. He is third in receiving yards with 1,444. This Brandon Banks guy is just apparently number one in everything. Yards after the catch, he is third, again, behind Brandon Banks and some other person. He's 25th in average yards per reception, but it's like 14 and a half, so that must just be a stat that everybody just blows up in the CFL. Every pass must be like 20-some yards. He's also third in touchdown receptions. Uh, Brandon Banks and Brian Burnham, two guys that are also near the top, are ahead of him, but he had 10 touchdowns. So, yeah, definitely one of the top. Seems like Brandon Banks has a little bit on him. But six foot two, 205 pounds, having a hard time finding any kind of speed things. I saw something that said around 4'5", whatever. So, I don't know, we'll see. I'm kind of, I'm beyond the point of saying, you know, guys that we pick up don't matter because we're starting to build a large portion of this roster off of um, pickups. <laughs> Whether or not they're super high quality, um, this is a 13-3 and team that has guys like Danny Vitale that were just pickups in like October last year. You got Alan Lazard, who was a pickup, who was our number two wide receiver. Got guys like Ibrahim Campbell. I mean, just all over the place that are just pickups that usually I just shrug and go, yeah, they picked a the guy up, but let's not make a big deal out of it. Uh, we'll see. I mean, I, listen, the odds that he's going to start now, this late, probably not. But, um, you know, the guy's one of the top wide receivers in the CFL, and I know the translation is very different. In fact, he probably went to the CFL because he couldn't even get into the NFL. But uh, they've been monitoring him, and apparently they really like what they see. So, anyway, something to keep an eye on. And again, nothing is really official. I actually hardly have even seen any news on it. I just saw somebody in a random Facebook group posted it, and I had to fact check it because I'm like, this seems fake. But uh, apparently it's a thing. They are set to uh, sign him. Actually, one of the articles made it seem as though he's going to be... Let's put it this way. There's a good chance he's not active. But we're going to try to lock him up anyways. Watched a little bit of his highlights, which, by the way, I just posted that on the uh, podcast Facebook page. A highlight video of his. Just a big, strong dude. I mean, I, I would try. To, I would probably compare him to like an Alan Lazard. Basically, the guy just skies up, grabs passes, and then stiff arms guys for a bunch of extra yards. 
That's that's kind of his thing. So, one other thing, it sounds like Raven Green could very well be back. And I really just want, I know some of you guys are, you just have different minds, right? There's certain people that just remember everything. Stats and whatever, right? You, we could have a conversation about a game in 2009 and who got the game-winning touchdown or whatever. It just, that's not how I operate. I'm assuming that's not how some of you operate. So I want to look at Raven Green because everybody's flipping out about Raven Green. Let's try to remember exactly who Raven Green is. And no, I'm not going to tear into the guy. No, that's usually where you think my, where I'm going with this. It's not. I just, we haven't seen him in a long time. That's all. So in short, Raven Green was a backup in 2018. He ends up getting an opportunity to play. Gets injured, gets put on IR. Played a grand total of 45 snaps. And really just one time um, did he play starter amount of snaps. So he played one snap in week eight as an extra team or uh, special teams guy. Then in week 10, he played 31 snaps, mostly in coverage because he's a safety. And then against Seattle, he got 13 snaps, got injured, and was done. That's what Raven Green did in 2018. In 2019, he started right away. Week one, and he was designated, at least as far as I can see, as a starter because Petten apparently really likes the guy, and Savage probably wasn't ready yet. But still, that's that's pretty high praise from Mike Petten to Raven Green. Week one, you're out there. Plays 55 snaps, does a little bit of everything, mostly coverage, but he also rushed the passer six times, was able to get one pressure, had six tackles, three stops um, in coverage, six targets, four receptions, 14 yards, and also had a pass breakup in the game. As far as PFF grades go, really just a great tackler. Everything else was just kind of mediocre. And then uh, he plays 15 snaps in week two, and after that he gets hurt again. So really, he's played two full games, once last year, once this year. His number one position is a strong safety. So he's lined up, quote-unquote, in the box 51 times out of 70, because PFF is extremely specific about where you stand on the field. And so we're just going to categorize it as in the box. And usually when a safety is in the box, they, they designate it as, they designate it all as linebacker. So he plays a lot of linebacker, but that's, again, it all just depends what part of the field you're standing on. So he is a linebacker slash strong safety type guy. He's the number three safety type. Ibrahim, right? He only played two snaps at free safety out of the 70. He played 10 snaps in the slot. Twice he was out wide. Presumably that's when you're in man coverage and the guy splits out. I don't really know. And then five times they said he lined up on the defensive line. Probably what that is, is that he's blitzing or showing blitz. Whether he actually blitzes or he drops, don't know. But that's probably why he was designated as such. Bottom line, though, he's he's the safety linebacker hybrid type. And as far as grades go, really it's just a... It almost doesn't matter because it's such a small sample size. Again, we're talking about two full games. But really, he had one game with really good tackling across the board. Otherwise, though, just average. And I, and this isn't saying that this is who he is. I'm just telling you we don't have really very much information on him. And so for me personally, I'm just holding back judgment. I, I have no idea. Again, I my default thought would be he must, Petten must really like him because he got the start week one. But again, we had a brand spanking new offense and a bunch of brand new safeties. Raven Green knows the defense. The other safeties do not. So I don't know if he even keeps his job if he was healthy. I don't know where he ranks with with Ibrahim. Chandon Sullivan has been designated as a strong safety. He had 22 snaps in the game. So there's, there's a good amount of competition in there. And I don't really know what the plan is. However, I will say this. If Raven Green is in day one, I feel pretty good about it. Although there's plenty of reason to feel hesitant. Like, oh man, this guy hasn't played in a while. 
what it demonstrates is the massive amount of confidence that Mike Pettin has in Raven Green and the fact that this is the kind of guy he wants and needs for his style of defense. Because I'll tell you what, Chandon Sullivan has done a pretty good job. He's actually one of our highest graded defenders on the entire year. And he's played basically since week five. He has been a consistent player, not a starter ever, but he has just played really well the entire year. If he just gets benched for Raven Green, I'm already impressed. So we'll see. You know, end of the day, having an extra body like Raven Green is beneficial, even if it's just situational, even if it's just rotational to keep guys fresh, whatever. Assuming we trust Mike Pettin to put the right people in the right positions to succeed, this can only be a net positive. But I just wanted to give my full thought on this because I think a lot of, if you just look at the way a lot of people are reacting on Twitter, it seems as though Raven Green is a was a full-time starter that we lost that's about to come back and be our full-time starter again and dominate. That just feels like what people are alluding to, and it's very incorrect. Um, another thing that I wanted to point out that I, I didn't necessarily think of, and I it's one of those things I should be able to give credit, but I forgot to write it down, so I, I did see something to this effect. I think it was just Roto World or something, or uh, like Pro Football Rumors, whatever it is. It's one of those things I was reading, and then boom, stuff firing in the brain. And that is essentially this. One of the things that I guess I haven't really thought of and I haven't really seen too many other people think of, when we talk about that Aaron Rodgers restructure, obviously certain things come to mind. Immediately everyone thinks one of two things, Kenny Clark and free agency. I brought up the possibility of possibly extending some people early, which is entirely unnecessary, but you got the the Bakhtiaris and the Devontae Adams of the world. One person that was left out, because a lot of us just tend to think that it's just kind of a maybe, eh, I don't know thing, there is a possibility that they're about to back up the Brinks truck for Brian Balaga. If you look at the performance he's put on this year as one of the best tackles in football, and, and we look at it as though, well, he's getting old, we it, it's getting to be about time to move on. We also happen to know that tackles can play in this league until their mid-30s. I don't know how they do it, but a lot of very successful tackles do play until their mid-30s. And in a contract year, Brian Balaga is playing some of the best football he's ever played and he's also stayed healthy the entire year, and the thought of letting him walk... Now, I understand the Packers are very, very good at letting people go early. That is to say, when they still seem to have something in the tank, you let them go, they move on, and they fall apart somewhere else. Josh Sitton was the exception to that rule, but I think there were other under, you know, underlying factors as far as locker room issues with him. So if they move on, I'll you know, just trust their judgment. However, again, it's not impossible, even for a team that... that wildly values youth to say we need this guy he is unbelievably valued i mean just just consider the people that he's protected aaron Rodgers against. the fact that in the nfl today left tackle right tackle basically doesn't matter it doesn't khalil mack just lines up on the right side and and they'll just take their best pass rusher if you just have one really good left tackle or right yeah left tackle and that's it they'll just move him over to your left right tackle brains getting twisted inside out and just attack you. And that's what most of these teams have been doing. And Brian Balaga has faced some better competition than even Bakhtiari has, because a lot of these teams are just moving guys over to your right tackle, especially against the Packers, because the consensus is Bakhtiari's the man, Balaga's good, not great. And he shut down just about everybody. So if, if we stop thinking in terms of he's old and broken and we'll see if we even want to keep him, and start just looking at what he's done this year and how much value he has to this team, he is easily one of the most valuable players on this entire team. Now, again, 
there's the possibility Matt LaFleur wants to craft this offense his way, and maybe Brian Balaga has never really been exactly his kind of guy anyways, so it's an opportunity to move on. But again, you're you're really taking a hit. I don't care who you draft at pick 32. The odds of replacing a Brian Balaga and having that level of play at right tackle is almost zero. You don't just get rookies coming in, you know, other than maybe top five picks. You don't get rookies coming in playing at the level Brian Balaga is playing. And so I would look, for example, at a guy like Lane Johnson as an example of this happening before. Lane Johnson right now is 30 years old. He has signed through, I believe, 2025 and is making, on average, $18 million a year. He signed the contract at age 29, but the point is the contract runs through age 35. So the Eagles recognize his value. They paid him $18 million to be their tackle until age 35, which now we need to recognize as the going rate for 30-year-old right tackles. It was a four-year, $72 million contract. 54.5 of the 72 is fully guaranteed. That's what the Eagles did. I'm not saying that's what the Packers are doing. I'm just saying we need to prepare ourselves for that because it's possible they're going to do that. That not only are they looking at we got to look at Kenny eventually, but Brian Balaga needs to get locked up. And we need some cash to do it. Well, not cash. They need cap. They lost cash by doing this thing with Aaron Rodgers, paying him cash up front. The Packers must not be cash poor. Which is always nice when you're not the Raiders and haven't run out of money because you have people that know how to manage money which, by the way, was one of the most hilarious things I'd ever heard. The Raiders want to sign this guy. Unfortunately, they have no actual cash in the bank. Oh, my goodness. No, that doesn't mean it has to be that way. If you look at, for example, Mitchell Schwartz, 30 years old, signed through 2020, signed an additional one-year contract to extend him out to 2021. All right, a lot of options. I just wanted to point out the possibility when we talk about what are the Packers going to do with this money that it's possible Brian Balaga is about to get a boatload of money but we'll see it's also possible he gets cut i don't i don't know i hope not because man oh man are we walking in the wrong direction at that point but uh anyways why don't we take a break i'm man i'm so short on time and i have a lot to talk about and we haven't even hardly gotten started anyways let's take a break and we'll see what we can get done here all right so let's rip through some of this stuff number one Apparently, it's it's becoming semi-official that the Colts are going to move on from Eric Ebron. Obviously, Eric Ebron has not been able to live up to his full potential, but we've seen some glimpses. Now, I've, I'm, I've basically all but given up the idea that a tight end is going to come over here and have his best production because it's Aaron Rodgers. That just doesn't happen. And so when you saw Ebron have flashes of success once he got paired up with uh, Andrew Luck, it, it kind of shows some of the potential, and it makes it somewhat intriguing but I also have kind of just given up the idea that we should be dropping $10 million bucks on, on tight ends. Now, I, I am somewhat open to signing a guy like Austin Hooper because of the production he's had. But in general, the more I think about it, the more I'm just really tired of spending a massive amount of cap dollars on guys that just come over here and don't seem to want to produce. Granted, maybe we should stop signing 30-year-old tight ends. But um, yeah, still, I, I, I'm pointing it out because we need to add them to our list. Uh, you know, when we talk about the extra money we have in free agency, if you actually look at the free agents, there aren't a ton of great options. I mean, there's a decent amount now, but a lot of these guys are going to get re-signed. If you look at guys that are legitimately probably not going to get re-signed, there's not a lot. And not a lot that would intrigue us, like tight ends, wide receivers, etc. So when a guy like Eric Ebron, who was a first-round pick, who maybe actually does have a lot of potential hits the market, you got to really strongly consider it, as much as we're all just completely tired of it. But let's also remember we got completely tired of drafting 
uh, corners in the first and second round, and it seems as though that maybe is turning a corner a little bit and finally is somewhat paying off. So the next thing and probably the last thing, as much as I really want to get to this other thing, is since the season is over, I want to look at Matt LaFleur as a first-year head coach. And actually, it's pretty exciting for more reasons than you would probably think. But let's just start by looking at all of the 2019 head coaches. First of all, let's start with Cincinnati's Zach Taylor. That is the absolute epitome of a team that just imploded. Granted, he wasn't dealt the best hand, and if A.J. Green was around, maybe that helps a little bit, but that team just completely fell apart. He got two wins on the season. After that, Cliff Kingsbury, super genius, brilliant offensive coordinator, blah, 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 nonsense, gets his guy, get a bunch of wide receivers to be able to run your scheme, and they schemed their way to five wins. Brian Flores, somewhat surprisingly, actually was able to muster five wins with the Miami Dolphins. Vic Fangio, been in the league a long time, defensive-minded genius, goes over to Denver, only gets seven wins. Adam Gase, been around a long time. He's worn a lot of hats and a lot of googly-eyed glasses. Only got seven wins with the Jets. Bruce Arians, right? Super genius guy that built the Arizona Cardinals from nothing, was going to come over to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and turn them into this powerhouse and he was going to get Ronald Jones going and he's going to do this and do that and it was going to be great and he was going to turn Jameis around seven wins so of the 2019 head coaches we have two five five seven 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 and uh that's it so at best first year head coaches got about half of the wins that Matt LaFleur got in his first year and here's the thing if, if, if you get a Bears fan or a Vikings fan listening to this podcast what they're going to do is automatically contradict themselves oh well how many of them got handed Aaron Rodgers I'm sorry is Aaron Rodgers a good quarterback or is he washed up because this is a team that couldn't get to 800 because apparently their quarterback is washed up and their defense is overrated and all these negative 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 things at some point you've got to throw a positive in there if it's not Matt LaFleur, then who is it? Is it this dominant defense that actually is overrated? Is it this dominant quarterback that I thought you said was washed up? you got to account for 13 wins somewhere in there. I'm putting a lot of that on Matt LaFleur. You want to know a couple other interesting tidbits, though? It's not quite done because he has two more wins than other coaches. However, they weren't hired in 2019. They were hired in 2018. Matt Patricia of the Detroit Lions, hired in 2018, has nine wins in two years. Matt LaFleur has surpassed Matt Patricia in win total, not win percentage, win total in one year. And it's Matt Patricia's second year. John Gruden with the Oakland Raiders has 11 total wins in two years. So Matt LaFleur in one year has surpassed every other 2019 head coach and has passed two 2018 head coaches in total wins. He's also only five wins behind Frank Reich and Mike Vrabel, 2018 coaches and has the highest win percentage of any coach in the NFL. Now, I know it's one year, so it doesn't necessarily count, but so what? There's other one-year coaches. There's two-year coaches. Nobody has the win percentage that Matt LaFleur has. By the way, it's absolutely ridiculous that Bill Belichick has a .742 win percentage, which isn't a percentage, but whatever. You get what I'm saying. I'm just reading it how they wrote it, all right? Win percentage, .742. That's with uh, Patriots, that is. So, you know, people can talk all the nonsense they want to talk, As I've said now a thousand times, what Matt LaFleur has done with the Green Bay Packers is historic. Very, very few coaches have done it. And if I'm not mistaken, taking a team from a losing record to a Super Bowl championship has only been done once, I think, by John Gruden. Again, I I did all the homework and then I forgot because that's how I operate. 
I'm pretty sure that was my conclusion. Go back and look. You can find first-year head coaches that have won Super Bowls. The vast majority are on teams that were already dominant. They come in, win Super Bowl, and the team falls apart because they're not that good of a head coach. Right, Dallas Cowboys, I think, after, uh, after what's-his-name, long-time head coach in the 90s. After he leaves, I think a new guy comes in, Jimmy something. Jimmy Johnson? Why can't I think? I don't want to look it up. I don't care. After he leaves, I think the new guy comes in, they win a Super Bowl, and then fall into obscurity. So that stuff does happen. I'm talking about a team with a losing record who hasn't been in the playoffs for two years now. That's not the criteria, but just to fully elaborate, going 13-3 and in the very next year. Already historic. First time in franchise history. Very rarely does that happen in any franchise. And if he actually makes it to the Super Bowl and, and somehow wins a Super Bowl this year, historic. Which also, by the way, goes to us talking about having proper context. Yes, our our... This, this goes to what I was talking about in terms of satisfied versus happy. We're, happy is done. We have to be happy with what we've gotten so far because this is historic already. Nobody is satisfied with anything less than a Super Bowl championship. Satisfied meaning this is good enough. No, of course it's not. But if, even if we're one and done, you have to be able to, after all the, the feelings go away, be able to look, at, look back at this with a massive smile on your face saying this was incredible. Nobody really could have expected this. And of course, there are some fans that just went super, and James Jones, who just went super, super positive. But let's not forget, James Jones said they were going to go undefeated in 2018. So let's, you know, the people that predicted this would happen, predict this will happen every year forever. Because they're just optimists, and that's why we love them as a friend. Anyways, I I had more to talk about, but I'm just out of time. Um, Tomorrow, maybe we'll touch on it, but I want to start talking about some of these football teams and really kind of go in depth. Um, because it's playoff time. So we want to understand these teams and know these teams and that kind of stuff. So that's kind of going to be my direction tomorrow. But anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.